is going on, people? Welcome to another episode of Daniel's Den of Hoops. Back in the building. OP is in the building uh, after taking a week off, uh, taking a one-week sabbatical. Um, all jokes aside, though, it's been an eventful week um, in terms of the basketball scheme of things. We're going to start off with some of the rough start in our aftertime mouth segment. Nate Bjorkren, um, Indiana Pacers, Indiana Pacers coach. Uh, we talked about them doing well early in the year, and then obviously things started to unravel. Some of the rumored stuff, whether it was half true or partially true, there's a lot of stuff in there that really, if it's in a workplace, isn't healthy. Um, and it, it kind of showed in their play. They decided to move on despite um, it being only a year in. Uh, what's your take on Indiana? Do you think uh, this team has to make you know some wholesale changes? Because we've talked about the past two years, it kind of feels like Indiana's got too much going on. I was actually, um, as you were talking about this, I remember I was listening to the Spacers pod through SB Nation. Um, uh, the writer we both follow, Caitlin Cooper, who does, she does an amazing breakdown of a lot of their sets. And I think her, her biggest thing, like roster management and, you know, player management and the, the stuff about him aside their problem was there was a lot of junk defenses that he would throw a lot of like to like a lot of the stuff that they would do with the Raptors, like a lot of um, two on the ball um, triangle and two, a lot of box and one, a lot of two, three zones, but there's a lot of possessions. If you look at their tape really closely, there's times where guys aren't in the right spots. Um, guys look confused because it depends on the situation. And, and I, I just think sometimes we get, it's almost like when you get so excited about something um, and you're so into it, you almost get so deep into the weeds that you just start to throw stuff out. Like, you know, you have, it's like, I'm trying to equate this to like, when I'm coming up with a lesson plan, sometimes I have all these ideas and then I throw them all in. And then I, then all of a sudden I try to go, this is when I was really teaching and I would go teach it. And then halfway through, I like, I had like 10 things done and then I got through two because that's not how humans really are. And you realize the same thing with Bjork. And I think, like, you could do that stuff with the Raptors because it was continuity from years, and then they added Kawhi. This is a roster that just needed to establish an identity and then build from there. And I think he rushed into it on top of just completely mismanaging his roster uh, from the beginning in terms of relationships and just being a person who just got overwhelmed. So hopefully he learns from this experience, maybe goes back to Toronto and, and, and picks up some stuff and then becomes a better coach in the long run. Yeah, maybe a better person. Who knows? But even with what you said, uh, the lack of, you know, practice time has been something that they've talked about in the season. You said they've thrown in a lot of defenses, guys not – and it could be related to that. Um, like you said, if 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 I'm going to throw in, let's say, three or four different schemes for a game and you only have one practice in the week because of COVID, you know, even – I mean, I'm just talking from like a university level. The guys aren't gonna pick it up. NBA is different. Like, they, obviously, there's the talents there, but at the same time, they still need the reps. They still need the time. And I think, like you said, if there's no continuity in terms of uh, the practices, then hey, maybe stick to two things, and then eventually you build from there. Yeah, build build a base and then build off it. You had Karis Liver come in, and you know, I think the biggest uh, hurdle was like the way Washington kind of Swiss cheese them was kind of like proof. Like they tried some triangle two stuff on Russi. Some reasons there's plays where they're double teaming Russi 25, 30 feet from the basket. Levert going over on screens on Russell Westbrook. 
who like even at his heyday you would never go over so like just things like that that just I think it's just overwhelming some guys just you know you got to know your team it's the it's really you play to you coach you don't coach the team you think you have you don't coach the team that you used you come from you coach the team that you have and you coach at their strengths and not and asking Sabonis to play in space and cover and recover and hedge which is it was just way too much especially when Turner went down their defense was just a mess so hopefully really you're right and they fix some things man yeah that's definitely true and speaking of some coaching drama we had Portland Trailblazers, uh, you know, part ways with uh, Terry Stotch, you know, shouts of Charles Barkley and his uh, analysis with that. Um, but in terms of that, it kind of seems like, um, you know, reading the reports, Dame th- thinks, hey, you know, I-, I want the Oakland guy, Jason Kidd, got the connection. He's a point guard, a legend. There may have been some turmoil with him or there was some turmoil with him in Milwaukee and Brooklyn, at least that was written uh, in terms of how they, how he did things. He's assistant coach with the Lakers. And to me, I, I'm a little confused with how they kind of, a little messy with how they uh, threw it out there. And I, I think you sent it to me, the article or the video from the jump with Richard Jefferson kind of said, Hey man, like, I understand you're not used to this. You've been with Stotts, but I think you should have maybe reached out to somebody in terms of how to go about this, because I thought it put a lot of pressure out on kid because obviously he came out and, and, you know, said he feels a little awkward. Do you think Portland still goes and maybe pursues a kid or do you think, you know, they kind of fumbled the bag and they got to go elsewhere? Well, from what I read about it, they're, they're talking as interviewing as many as 20 candidates. Um, and if you listen to the press conference that GM had, he really thought that the roster wasn't the issue and that the 29th ranked defense was on scheming and strategy and things that can be fixed. Though looking at that roster, like, you know, Nurk is a foul machine, as we saw in that Denver series. Um, he just couldn't stay out of foul trouble. They couldn't really play Cantor in space. Covington is a more of a weak side help rotation dude, not really an on-ball guy. Um, in that series, it, you know, and it was honestly a bad matchup. Like Portland, Denver might have been outside of the Lakers, maybe the other, maybe those are just two, those two years is back to back playing those teams with massive bigs who can post up at any time. It's just, the roster wasn't built for it. And, and to answer your question about the coaching change is like really quickly. Um, no, the kid thing's done. That's not happening because kid has a reputation of being kind of a, around the league for, kind of being you know he'll go behind your back you know sits again you talked about Milwaukee you know anybody Google's dudes or Google's the reason why he was out of Milwaukee is because he tried to make a bid to like run the organization and they were like all right you're done and I saw the same thing in Brooklyn Brooklyn, and then when he went to Milwaukee there was kind of like same thing is you know people thought he was his defenses were just not and offenses weren't imaginative enough and I don't think and he's had a domestic abuse charge in his past as great as he is, right? He's had a bunch of different things that are red flags um, to an organization. So I think he was smart enough to be like, I got to lay low and look like I've earned the next job I get. I can't look like I came in and did it because a superstar snapped, my, snapped his fingers and now I'm his guy. It just would look, it'd be another footnote on Jason Kidd is a dirtbag. Um, so like, Dame's got to realize, like, when you have power like that, you don't really need to speak that loud. Like, like Richard Jefferson said, like, move in silence. Like, you got an agent. Like, let him be like, yo, this is who he wants. Get it done. 
and and they'll do it right but or they won't and then you're gonna say all right what do you i'm here for the next so odd years unless you find a way to trade me get me the coach i want uh but yeah you shout out the tact and uh you gotta have it man yeah it's, it, i think it's true in terms of um what you said i think this roster's kind of reached their ceiling um, in terms of what you could do even in defensively you talk about the bigs you know on the wings we, we talked about covington being an off ball guy they don't really have a lockdown guy they have a lot of pieces in, in terms of hey norman powell robert covington if you're a third defender we're a pretty elite team but when they're number one and number two instead of number three through maybe five or six depending on how deep your team is defensively i i think it's a recipe for disaster and there's no flexibility with that roster um, and my question is, do you think they finally move on from that CJ uh, Dane backward or do they go elsewhere in terms of that first move? Because I, I really think they really I think they should retain Norm and maybe go with that him and Dane, because I think they actually complement each other well and maybe getting a bigger wing or a, a three, four, uh, which a lot of people want. But CJ is a good asset. How do you go from there? Well, CJ is just the most tradable asset they have, right? Like Dame. If you're trading Dame, you're you're telling them it's over, right? And and the way their cap situation is anyway, if they traded Dame, they wouldn't be able to get a big rebuild anyway because they wasted a lot of picks getting Covington. Like, um, so they're they're in a really weird roster position. And I think it was, I think CJ might be the move. Unfortunately, they've been great together, but I feel like yeah, I think you need to call around and see, you know, maybe you hope Philippe maybe flames out and you're like, Hey, CJ and some stuff together and let's throw that in a package to get Ben. Like maybe I don't think that would, I don't know why Philly would do it, but so that's the reason why I don't think it works, but I think that's what they kind of need. Dame is, is, is Dame. He's also, he's got to take his accountability too. Cause as crazy as an offense and, you know, I kind of sat in and get to talk about that series in that 55 point game. He's also, he was also really bad on defense all year. Like it was a kind of unkept secret that he, you know, he wasn't really, there was times, I guess, cause you put so much pressure on him on offense. He defensively just wasn't there cause enough. So like to your question, like, I mean, like CJ is the chip. It's just, it is what it is. If you want, if you're still in the win now mode, clearly this isn't enough. Clay will be back. Lakers will be back. Even though I hate them right now, like the other teams will be back. Um, Clippers will be back. Utah, Memphis on the rise, Phoenix. Like, it's the West. Dallas, like, you need to make a move now or else you're just going to be playing material. And do you want to really waste Dame's prime uh, in the playing bubble? Because it's not like Golden State where everybody was hurt and they had a bunch of rookies and second-year vets, guys. You had a roster that, that was built on, hey, we can win right now, and it wasn't. That's yeah, true. I really think, you know, I really hope that they pull the trigger. Definitely got some good things in terms of some pieces, but in terms of the whole puzzle, just isn't uh, contender level. Um, speaking of some more coaching or some future stuff, Dallas Mavericks, obviously, finally, uh, Luka Magic, as I said on the last pod, it wasn't Luka with a capital, capital L in terms of that second half. It seemed like he ran out of gas. You can see it visually. Um a lot of like high usage. I think he's somewhere in the thirties. It's like it's it's some Westbrook MVP, Harden uh, MVP level usage. And the difference in terms of those guys, it just feels like obviously the glaring thing is KP in in terms of him looking like a, a fourth option or whatever the case, you ever narrative you want to put. We just he hasn't been that 
and they just don't have enough creators. They don't have a, a roller who can be dynamic and finishing at the rim. They don't have any glue guys in terms of other than Finney Smith, maybe you can argue, but to me, I just, I'm really like, I like Luca, but to me, I, I really have some questions in terms of how they use him one and two, man, they, they, they really need to make some decisions. Cause I really think that that Porzingis deal is not looking great for them. I mean, Luca's Luca is just, you know, like you said, the usage rate, everybody who's at a usage rate that high, um, it wears down. I don't like it just, it's just a matter of when. Um, and in the case of the Clippers series, you can just tell, like, it was just like, okay, all these bodies coming at them. They're sending Morris, they're sending Kawhi. And, and, and then the Clippers did a great adjustment of just like, it's not even really a great adjustment. They just, Kawhi just stopped soft switching and we're just like, I'm just going to take him the whole entire time. And I'm going to give up any mismatches. And he just kind of wore it down. Uh, the roster isn't, they need another scorer. Like they need a DeMar DeRozan um, type, a guy that we've talked about. They need a guy who can get his own shot on their roster, who isn't Luca, who can carry them in stretches. Um, because just this, it's just too easy to kind of depend on that. And and Luca needs to get in better shape too, because you know sometimes it's just he just looks gassed. Like he just looks like I don't have anything left. The one thing you could say about Rusty and Harden is that it's usually not that. It's Harden's like it's Harden does that for the entire year. And then he finally flames up. But even then, like he just needs to they're they're that are crossroads too. And they they push that clipper team. All you know, credit to to Luca just kind of being amazing and brilliant. But you're right, it's they got some real concerns and issues because KP is not who they thought he was. It's not who he thinks he is. He's unhappy with his role. Um according to reports so it's a mess man yeah and i think even with the usage thing you've seen some elements of lucas game uh, improve in terms of his jumper i think you know the the question mark obviously still is with like you said can he hit those step back threes and when he's not applying pressure at the rim one and two free throw shooting obviously shot 52 percent in the at 53 uh, percent at the line in this series he's at like 40 percent for most of the the series uh made it up late but I think they can use them in more ways. Kind of the same thing I've said with Harden. And you've seen it, obviously, with Brooklyn, where Harden, I still at times, he's not as dynamic as he was in OKC off the ball. But, I mean, with the ball, sometimes even as a, a, a short roller or having somebody there, like just give, giving him more flexibility on offense will, and going to that post. Because we saw that mid-range jumpers there now. Uh, it seems like it's reliable. So do you think that's maybe the next step for him in terms of, one, if they do get a DeMar, and two, I think Jalen Brunson is another guy I, I want to see get more minutes because I really think Carlisle kind of – I mismanaged that bench for what he tried. Yeah, yeah, I think some of it was he was worried about the when the Clippers kind of went to their big wing lineup, who does Brunson guard, right, when they went with – but I would, you know, stash them on man or something like that, but or Reggie Jackson or somebody like that. He killed them too. Um, but I just think – I just think with the free throw shooting, I think part of it is just, you know, it's, I think it has to do with his fatigue too. I think he's exhausted. I think he gets to the line and he's gassed. Now, mind you, that might have to do with how he shoots too. Uh, he's a very streaky shooter. Cause the one thing you can knock him about is that he takes a lot of threes, but he doesn't make a lot of threes. Um, so that the, you know, when he's hitting, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's like, it looks like this is the, best player in the league in the next three years. And because the one thing I will say about this, if he gets into better shape, 
and he figures out his free throw shooting and they can get him another wing when he's 28, 29 years old, good luck trying to guard that dude. Because if he's hitting step back jumpers with another wing and he can hit his free throws, like it's going to be a long, it's going to be a hard time playing that dude just because he's six foot seven, 230 pounds, sees over the defense, hits shots from anywhere on the floor and can finish at the rim. And, you know, you know, shout out to Jeff Van Gundy defending the white man uh, with Mark Jackson. Uh, who just kept comparing to Larry Bird, and it was just a lazy comparison because it's like yeah. Larry never handled the ball like that. Larry was on the wing, rebounded. Larry could pass, but just you know, like just say, hey, he's a he's a white guy a, who we didn't think is athletic. That's what you should have should have just said. It didn't make any sense. Like you look at Luca, it's Harden, right? It's bigger Harden, like it's just a bigger version of James Harden, but unfortunately not as good as a shooter as James Harden but actually a little bit better using his body than James Harden, which is crazy because Harden is probably one of the best to do it when it comes to his using his, using his everything to get free throws. Yeah, it's true. I really, and I even, I'd even argue some, I mean, Harden and, you know, I don't want to, you know, get too high in terms of praise, but I think even some flashes of LeBron sometimes in terms of his pick and roll read, because he's a bigger guy. Like Harden's like six four, six five. I think barefoot, this guy's six seven barefoot so like you said it makes a difference in terms of how you can see the floor but oh, yeah. uh, the broad the broad comparison is is there like it's it's fair to make it just because of the passing especially the pocket passing is very similar but Harden does the same thing I just I look at him I just see Harden maybe it's because of the, the how bulky they both are LeBron always seemed like he was a house but he he would be able to move a little bit more uh, but yeah the post-up game is incredible Incredible. Yeah, that and even that too, you can argue he's starting to get this. Hopefully he can take that leap too. But yeah. to move things on to the awards, you got um Nikola Jokic, um, and obviously Tibbs winning coach of the year. Uh we got two awards. Obviously, we we both I think we both said, Hey, it's it's Jokic. What was the thing that stood out for you in terms of his game? Because obviously he's been a, a dope passer, um, been a guy who's shown North America what we may have seen with Arvidas if he came over earlier. Uh, what's what's the next? What's that next gear that he hit this year? I think it's just you. If you look from last year to this year, if there was a problem I always kind of had with him, especially when Murray wasn't was in the lineup. Sorry, is that he would kind of defer down the stretch, and like he would pass out of double. I remember them playing the Lakers and him getting like I think it was AD or Braun on a post up and kick trying to kick it out, and it was just like. Like, no, like, I think he finally figured out, like, no, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the answer. Cause you don't have, you know, you don't have a single answer for what that guy does. Cause he doesn't, you, he uses, he's athletic, just like Luca, he's athletic in the ways we don't, we don't think of athleticism. Like Luca's thing is the stopping and starting, right? Like it's the idea that I'm going to stop faster than you can stop and you can't do anything about it. Same thing Harden does. In the case of, of Jokic, I think he just realized down the stretch, like, Teams are not going to double team me, right? Because double teaming him is a mistake because he's 6'11", 7 feet, sees over defense, incredible passer. So, and nobody in the NBA outside of maybe Joel Embiid, I'd put that guy in a post-up situation. I would want no problems with him. And he gets to left, right. It doesn't matter what shoulder he gets to. He's going to get there every single time. And I think that aggression late in games with Murray out, I think made him step into that role of like, okay, I got to be the one to finish these games 
I'm going to be the one that, because at the end of the day, there's no scouting report that says send a double Luca's weight, uh, Joe Kitch's weight, unless it's very late in the shot clock, because it just won't work out for you because he's going to, he's going to find somebody. Yeah, I think I agree with you in terms of that scoring, taking that leap um, and, and him, especially with the jumper, that, that was one thing I thought um, in terms of he was not as, he seemed like he was reluctant to shoot. Now it's like, okay, I'm going to shoot it. And, that face-up game, you can't belly up on him. I think he would let guys kind of get into his space, and I think that's where, obviously, the the four months off in terms of that pre-bubble, you can tell he worked on his core, he worked on his body, hard to knock him off his spots. Dude, seven feet. He was already a strong guy, but functionally, you could tell, like, hey, you can kind of lean up on him in terms of that late-game situation because he didn't have the win, or, or and two, I, he just didn't know how to tap into that strength uh, in terms of moving guys off their spot. And once he's figured that out, we see he's a top five player, even top three player. You can argue in terms of the way he played this year. And especially without Murray, I, I, I mean, Denver, if they're fully healthy, I'm hoping that Murray kind of takes his time, comes back January. This team could be knocking on that finals door. Oh, they'd be, they're, they're scary out if they can get some guard play. Like if they, if they didn't have to play Composo when we talk about the series in, in heavy minutes, I would, I would not want any problems with them just because they're young. They're, you know, and they're athletic and they play off a dude who, you know, he's a one man offense. Like you run everything you want through him. Um, he's a creator in a different way. And like you said, more confident with his jumper, he'll just take it. Now he's like, don't give me any room. I would shoot this jumper. And again, he can put the ball. If you put him around four or five shooters, sorry, three or four shooters, when he puts them on, when he puts it on the floor, teams are going to be scared to date because he will find the guy. And he, and like you said, the core strength is just way better. The, you know, whatever you want to call it, he's so much stronger and assertive that you can't bump him off his spot either. So it's like literally like, I'm going to get to the basket. You got to send a double and you cannot send a double my way because he doesn't very rarely gets picked off. If anything, he throws an Aaron pass or two. That's the only thing, but you didn't do anything to stop him. He just threw a bad pass. Yeah, that's true. And, um, in terms of that coach of the year vote, man, I, <laughs> did you think Monty was going to get it? Because I really thought uh, he had a chance. The problem, I was talking to our boy Phil, shout out to him off mic about this, um, friend of the pod, um, maybe not a friend of me, but friend of the pod. <laughs> um, and we were talking about this, and I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts about this. This is what I've always felt about the coach of the year award. It almost felt like we thought you were going to be trash and you weren't trash. So here's the award. And let me ask you a question. What's a harder thing to do? Take a team with low expectations in a conference ravaged by injuries and COVID. So again, I'm not belittling what they were doing, but just let the record show Raptors, Celtics, Heat, all three teams who went deep in the bubble all were ravaged by injuries and COVID and were gassed from the short turnaround. And that was clearly obvious. It looked clear as day, right? The only team in who's been successful, who was in the bubble is Denver. And even they're missing their second best player. So those three teams are out of the way. So all of a sudden the conference is a lot, your division's a lot easier because now the Raptors and Celtics are out and you overachieve. Good for you. Is that harder or is taking a good team who was the eighth seed adding a piece who's had injury histories and bringing them all the way to the second seed in the West. To me, as a coach, 
I feel like it's harder to go from bad. I think it's a lot harder to go from bad to good as opposed to good to great because teams always fall making that jump or like the idea of like small businesses or like what kills small businesses is when they try to expand. Like you have some early success, but what happens when teams know what they're, you know, when everyone's getting your best shot, I think Monty did a hell of a job. Go ahead, man. I know I'm rambling, but I'm mad. Bro. No, I, I think I agree with you in terms of what I saw in that. Uh, I think the Hawks series was kind of proof of that because uh, you know, shout out to Julius Randle, you know, he had a monster season, but to me, I think Monty's, changes I at least watching it and you know I I picked the Knicks I think we both did because I, I really thought that they made the right adjustments but at the same time it, at least in the Ravens but obviously postseason a different thing one and two I think Monty's adjustments are more sustainable one and two those guys took such a, a, a leap you know you're seeing Aiton in one-on-one situations he's not fouling as much uh Devin Booker's I mean, he's. I think he's always had the ability to pass, but now because of how they run their pick and roll schemes, it's not just high, yeah, five action. It's Spain action. It's on the wing. It's 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 at the top. It's a delayed back screen. It's a delayed pin down. Guys are slipping. We're throwing lobs to Aiton, and I just really think, in terms of how Monty's done that, and we can even say Phoenix to me, as good as their wings are, they're they're four to four five in terms of that backup situation he's really managed a lot of those guys especially I know we talked about the Lakers maybe they weren't full strength but he really got the most out of that uh eight and combo because that guy was playing what 40 minutes and had like an 84 percent um success rate in terms of shooting at the rim so I really think that you know Monty coaches butt off and I, I really thought that he was gonna you know snag that award and I agreed with you. I was talking actually with Pacholo another friend of the pod he was he was like are you surprised I'm like I kind of said the same thing you said. I said, I feel like because of the expectations were so low for the Knicks, it's kind of like, hey, hey, here you go. Like, Yeah, and I was, like, looking back, uh, you know, we talked about our predictions. The two ones we both got wrong were the Knicks and the Lakers one. And the Lakers ones was obvious, right? If they're not if they're not healthy, if LeBron and AD aren't healthy, you're not winning nothing. Like, the way that team is built, they're too top-heavy. The Knicks one – Looking, the next one is the only one where I'm like, I'm kind of annoyed I picked them only because after we talked, I was like, but I don't know about them guarding Trey in the pick and roll. And if, you know what I'm saying? Even, a, 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 um, you know, we'll get to them. We talk about Hawks, the Hawks series, but like he, you know, I don't know if they can guard in the pick and roll. I don't know what they can do with bogey. And they struggle down the stretch. We, sh- we saw it in moments. I'm like, they struggle when the game gets tight. They struggle creating things. We talked about it. So it was all these red flags that were kind of like screaming <laughs> to me. Like, nah, that this isn't. It was the only one. And to tell you the truth, even the other ones I got wrong in terms of games, it was the only one that bothered me. Because the Lakers won yeah. again. Game four, I was like, all right, if they lose, I see it. But like the this idea that like, and again, this is this is the reason why I the coach, I always, this is why we have Phil Jackson winning like maybe what? He won like once or two. Yeah, he won. He only won during the uh, seventy-two and ten season. Yeah, like he, oh, so and then you know the year they won sixty-nine games the following year. I guess he stopped coaching well. Like it just, it's always like we expect you to be good, and because you're good, we're not going to reward you. And it's like, but being good in the NBA, especially in the year they have, takes some coaching and management. Tibbs did a hell of a job. This is what usually Tibbs does. The first year he gets to a place, he knows how to survive a regular season. Monty was able to do both. Monty was able to build a culture, follow the success. That team went into the bubble, won eight straight, 
didn't lose a single game, beat the Clippers, was kind of in start. And if you look at their stats, started to expose them. So, like, um, you know, Monty got – but you know what? Monty got the award. His peers recognized him, right? Like, his peers knew. Like, maybe the media kind of missed it. I don't – like, capital media because not everyone. But the, the peers knew. Like, you know, it was kind of real recognized, real. So, I'm glad he got that. And and I'm partial to Monty because of his story um, as well. Just because, yeah. you know, with his wife and losing his kid and, and the car accident and just – I always felt like he got a raw deal in New Orleans um, with a roster that wasn't built to succeed. And he, again, had success there. Like, ask, ask them how they're doing now without him. Yeah, and I kind of even talked about it on the last part. I kind of said that it was kind of a reflection of, you know, some of the flaws with AD's game. And he was able to lead that team to, what, 45 wins and wasn't MVP, first MVP Steph. You look at it, those numbers, that dude was giving everybody problems. But to go on to our walkthrough, no, our after timeout segment was a bit, but you know we we've obviously had some good things to talk about. Um, two weeks, man. We got we're yeah. catching. Up. Yeah, it's been two weeks as well, but you know, Jazz Clippers, man. This was a game I, I caught up on this after work because you know your boy got to get them hours. You know what I'm saying? And uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> but watching that game, man. Early, uh, at least looking through my notes, um, Kawhi was pretty not Kawhi. PG was pretty active early. But he just wasn't getting any uh, uh, pressure to, to the net. You could see him kind of saying, hey, Gobert, I'm going to attack you. But Gobert's like, hey, man, I got an eight-foot wingspan. What are you going to do? And he didn't really figure out how to attack his body. And even then, I think Gobert did a good job. And you see it. That's, and I, I kind of talked about it. I said, hey. And this is also a good thing that the Jazz defense did. I thought the guards actually did a great job in terms of staying attached on PG, funneling him towards rather than, hey, we'll give you a running start into a mid-range jumper. Same thing with Kawhi. And I really think if they're going to play that drop coverage and L.A. can't get those pull-ups or can't get to the rim, uh, they're going to have problems. And also that front court, man, and also I think we talked about this off mic. That, I, it's funny. I actually wrote it down. They just don't have a big guard option in, in terms of the, the Clippers, and I kind of talked about that with Utah. Um I picked Clippers in six, but after watching that, I'm kind of like, man, I, I wish I said at least seven and maybe gone with Utah because Conley didn't play as well. And Utah's for real, man. Like, I know we've kind of maybe questioned whether they're uh, the 2015 Hawks, but obviously Mitchell has shown – that dude, when his jumper is locked in, I mean, that guy's a problem. I think he shot like 37% on the season. He's proven the last couple of years that he, he can take his game to that level. He doesn't have to finish at the rim if he's going to be shooting the clear looks he had. Um, looking at the box score, he was 6 of 15 from three. Half of his shots were from downtown. So, You know, I don't want to – the Hawks comparison was it was, was obvious and why team people made it, but the difference is, like, the Hawks team was a collection. It was like a low-grade 04 Pistons team. That's what they were. They were like a collection of dudes. There wasn't a dude. Donovan's a guy. Like, Donovan's – but the one thing from a strategic standpoint that I noticed is on the Clippers side is that they tried, and it was very interesting, Lou trying to get and realizing exactly what you were saying. Where the Clippers struggle is finishing oversized. They always had, especially Paul George. He's always kind of struggled at the rim. I'd be very curious to see what the numbers are in the playoffs. But he always seems to struggle around size. So I think the idea was let's bring Morris in and let's draw him away from the basket, except like you said, the way those guards fight over the top and funnel him into Gobert, like Paul George is going to have to start making better reads because 
he's not going to be able to finish over Gobert. If they can't get him in foul trouble and if they can't get him moving in space, it is going to be a long series for them. Like, it's going to be a long, long series. I still think the Clippers could pull it out just because of the wing issues and can they maintain that. And it took 45 for Mitchell to do it. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, when they have when they add Conley to the lineup, um, they'll have another ball handler now in the lineup on top of it. And I kind of actually, actually like the fact they didn't have Conley for a lot of that game because I feel like that's how you got to beat the Clippers. I think you need to go big with the wings as well. And don't give and don't give up your size advantage because the one thing the Clippers can't do is they don't like we said they struggle at getting to the basket. If you saw Game Seven, um, Carlisle had to kind of concede and go small, and that allowed Kawhi to walk to the hoop. And yeah. if you let Kawhi walk to the hoop, it's a long day because then he'll get to his midi, and if he gets to his midi, it's good night. So. Um, yeah, like you said, it's an interesting series. I'm, I'm very curious. And, and let me ask you a question. What, what's the trade-off when you go small with the Clippers, right? What are you giving up on the other end? And I think they have a question they got to solve there. Uh, in terms of Clippers going small? Yeah, when they go small, right? What's the, what's, what do you think is going on there? Well, one, I think when they go small, obviously the, the one thing is when they, they – we talked to – I mean, I don't want to kind of spoil things, but – Looking at Brooklyn, you know, they switch, but they keep guys in front of them. Whereas the Clippers, it feels like that when they switch, it's like, all right, um, Morris is on Don Mitchell. He's getting downhill. And there's some situation where they would try to hedge and recover. He would split, split the double team to give him a running start. There's no rim protection. Um, my thing is, I think offensively it actually serves them better, the Clippers, because – Having Zubots there, at least watching the tape, it, it seemed like it kind of junked up some of their stuff, at least looking at some of their uh, their shot chart. I think they only shot like four threes in the third quarter, if I'm not mistaken, after going 11 of 23 in the first half. And they clearly weren't getting two feet into the paint. They weren't putting any pressure on. And um, I don't know. I just, I just have questions in terms of the flexibility because if Serge, that's somebody I looked at and said, hey, if he's playing back end of the series, they have a chance to close out in six. but you know, Boogie gave him a short stretch, but I don't know if that's really sustainable because he just doesn't move as yeah, well he, as he used to. It's not sustainable. Sorry, you cut out, so I thought you were done. But, yeah, yeah he ahead. doesn't move as well, and they don't have a lob threat, which is, like, the one thing that you could probably maybe help to pull Rudy away to, you know, get him going. And when we talk about the Phoenix series, I think we can talk about that a little bit more. But, like, I think – with a guy like Rudy, you got to move him. You got to make him have to chase guys on the perimeter and have to read and recover. But he's deep. His the reason why he's won Defensive Player of the Year so many times has been our first team all defense kind of guy is is for this reason. He's elite at protecting the rim. So if you know he's the you know the one thing with Utah is that you can never argue with their drop coverage because it doesn't make sense to do anything else with a guy who's built like Rudy Gobert. You need to play drop. Funnel him, work your ass off, get this guy on his hip, make sure that he can Paul George doesn't have that, can't get to that little CP sidestep pull-up jumper that he always takes. If you can stay attached to his hip and he's not doing not doing any stutter steps or moving his feet, shout out to Trey Young, who's really good at that. Like if you're not doing those things on offense and you're just thinking A or B, then it's gonna be 
try to finish over the seven footer and you're not going to be able to do it. Like Ruby's like jaw tried. We saw jaw almost died doing it. Like yeah. <laughs> he tried to catch a couple bodies. Like I rate jaw Moran, like, um, just cause I feel like he just like, I'm okay. You know, like he, he's like, he's that, um, that the baby me where he's like, F it. Like that's how he is. Anytime yeah. he's turning the corner, he's just like, I'm just coming to dunk on everyone. And it didn't work. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Cause Rudy's just like, nah, I'm good. Like, I'm good with this platform. You got to get him moving. You got to get him dancing on the perimeter like Golden State did. So I'm I'm interested in how they adjust. The one thing you'll say about Lou is he will adjust. You know, like he benched Beverly. We didn't see that guy for three, four games when it became clear he was a liability for a defensive stopper. Yeah, that's true. I, you know, <laughs> speaking of – that's a good – actually, good segue. Speaking of not making adjustments – yeah. Milwaukee Bucks, man, versus the Brooklyn Nets. This is a series I was looking forward to. Both of us were. I said, hey, man, let me – I'm not going to Stephen A it or Skip Bayless it, but let me go Bucks in seven just because I, I really thought, you know, they've made the adjustments. And I was a little iffy about her. I'm not going to say I had the hindsight to think he would get hurt, but I was a little iffy about that hamstring injury. Of course, he gets hurt. You think, hey, maybe they steal out game one. They They ride the high and then they have to reset. But we look at the shot chart uh, in terms of the, the diet, first of all. 416 passes in two games for Milwaukee. Brooklyn is averaging 300 per game in the per- first two games. And guess what? They got Kevin Durant, who's shooting 50% in the playoffs on contested threes. Yeah. And 90% of his threes are contested. So that dude's been damn good of course since the Achilles injury we can talk about that Kyrie of course has been a menace but man that drop coverage bro like come on you can't you can't ask for Kevin Durant to say it's kind of like Prince with the pancakes man he's just like all right yo which which, anybody down for some pancakes like that's just how I feel about it and then on offensively feels like Milwaukee's kind of doing that okay your turn my turn thing Settling for pull-ups, not really getting any advantages. They go to it early, but then all of a sudden you're seeing stretches of Chris Middleton pull-ups with Kevin Durant swarming him. Bruce Brown's being switched out to him, a good defender. And, man, there's so many head-scratching plays. It's, it's almost frustrating because I really think in this year, I think this Bud's job's on the line. I think it's clear to say, and they just oh, haven't answered. They haven't answered oh, it. Oh, no, no. He's getting fired if they don't win this series. Like, that's yeah. – um, can they still win? I think so, but they're he's getting fired if they lose this. And and the reason being is it's it's clear as day watching them play. I can't believe I rhymed there. <laughs> but you talked about that passing stat. Now, what teams do wrong against the Nets on defense? Because on offense, um, you know, sometimes it's like it's like you said, it's Durant is shooting that on contested pull-ups. There's, I contested threes. It's not even pull-ups. He's probably shooting like 90. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like if, he's, if he's just going to – if he's going to be the you know best player in the world on offense for like – there's nothing you can really do about that. However, what you can do is attack them. And I think what Bud is doing is very weird. It's like he thinks attacking them and maybe – and Drew Holiday's kind of got caught up in this and Milton's kind of got caught up in this. They think attacking them is I'm going to take him one-on-one. And I'm going to try to ISO Kyrie. I'm trying to ISO KD. I'm trying to ISO Blake Griffin. That's not how you attack those guys. 
you have to attack those guys with switches, making them switch weak side, making them have to make reads on the back end. That's how you get them. Get them moving and then having to make a closeout. Kyrie's was one of the worst pick-and-roll defenders um, in the league when he was with Cleveland, in part because he had to cover up Kevin Love, who was, this, who was even worse when it came to that, right? So you can get Blake into space and make them move. Like when we talk about the Phoenix series, that's what that's what Monty does so well is he makes defenders who don't want to defend cover way more ground than they're comfortable covering. Bud so far and the team so far is just like, you can't just be like, let's throw it on the block and then let's see what happens. Because as good as Chris Middleton is, he's not Kevin Durant. He can't play that game. He's not the guy who could, he might be able to get you 50, but that's not how it's sustainable. It's a different setting playing Miami who who has bigs who are afraid to shoot the ball and, and Butler was trashed the whole series. You <laughs> cannot you That's it's so not the same. Yeah, like it just it's yeah, I got it it was like the more you talk about it, it's just there's so many pressure points and like there's so many ways to attack the Nets on defense. And the, the Nets have haven't had to play a single lick of defense for an entire for the all six games they sorry seven games they played so far except for the one game where Tatum went off but that was more Tatum getting off that's not sustainable you got to attack those guys in space if you're trying to play this like mono mono game with the team who's the best probably we've ever seen assembled at doing that doesn't make any sense you're gonna lose you're gonna lose so good luck (laughs) yeah he might be talking he might be on a podcast soon if he doesn't get his stuff together yeah, and even looking at Brooklyn uh, as a team, they're shooting 50% from the floor, 43 from three, 91 from the line. So a 50-40-90 team. <laughs> so that goes to show you how potent they are. But I got a question for you, man. How do they get Giannis? And you, know, you look at the raw box score. Obviously, the free throws are a problem. He's shooting 20% in uh, two games, two of 10 from the line, 25% from three. Um, and even looking at the uh, the whole postseason, three of twenty four from three, twenty three of forty three from the, the line. How do they get him more stuff in terms of him being more dynamic off ball? Because you talked about getting those switches, because it feels like to me they're getting him on the short those short rolls, excuse me, and they're just saying, hey, we'll live with that because he he clearly can't create enough for us to send attention to him. Yeah, they're not even doubling him in the post at this point. They're just not even caring. They're just like, go ahead. Um, I think some of the easier solutions is using him as a screener. There was that one play where they – it was so – again, Caitlin Cooper pointed this out. Like, she's my favorite follow, I think, period, um, on Twitter when it comes to basketball. They had one set where it's like – they and they put Tucker in the pick and roll for some reason with Drew Holiday, and then Giannis was in the corner three. Like, what? Like, it was just – you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it just it just seems like stupid stuff. You run um, – like, a lot of this stuff is like run empty pick and roll, run, a, run a, the shooter away so the tag guy has to make a, a, an adjustment and then you get a lob dunk for him. Like, you know, stuff like that. The, um, the Nets love to switch. Slip. You know, like, things you can take advantage of. Like, there was one play where Middleton, I believe, or Holiday got – Kyrie on their hip and he just kind of slipped and then threw the ball overhead because Kyrie's anticipating a, a switch situation. That's where you catch them. That's what you got to do. 
You got to catch them thinking ahead, not soft switching, catching them falling asleep, you know, or else again, that's what you got to do with Giannis and get him going. And and clearly like he's in his head again. Um, I think Miami was a little different story because again, those big, Miami just wasn't there to compete. Like you could tell they were done. I will go on this theory till I'm blue in the face. Anybody who went late in that bubble was mentally, physically drained by the end of the season. They just, it was one, two, three Cancun, like every one of them. The only team that made it was Denver. Denver had to do serious roster construction to redo it. I really think it's not being talked about enough, but with Giannis, it just, it's, they got to get him in space, moving, get him some dunks, get him some lobs, get him some slips. And then he can start maybe feeling himself and taking a couple pull-ups here and there. But they will lose this series if they try to play ISO ball. I don't understand playing the like it's I I don't know. It's like I don't it's so stupid. It's very stupid. It's it's all the way stupid. They deserve to lose. Like they deserve to lose, man. Yeah, and my question is obviously first answer for this question, I'm gonna answer it myself. I mean, the first thing you do with Kevin Durant, as you pray, obviously, with how uh, he is on offense. But clearly, the drop coverage isn't a thing. How do you really force him to be a decision maker for the others, as Shaq likes to say? Because I really think, you know, his handle looks tighter in terms of how PJ's trying to get a little physical with him. All right, knock it off. I, I, I got the arm bar going, knock you off your spot, get to my pull up. How do they change your coverage? I really think that they they got to try at least to get things at least a little stickier for him in terms of making him think a little bit different. Because I really think he's in that zone where he he's like, man, like this is – I think I heard a good analogy. It's like him beating a video game or a Rubik's Cube for like the third time just because he's he just looks like he's doing it that easy. Yeah, he – the, the the problem with PJ Tucker is that he's a great def- he's a good defender. I don't know why teams always do this where they think putting him on a big wing is what he's designed to do. I would never put him on a big wing because this was the same thing with LeBronto. Like it was like yeah we got PJ Tucker and like okay LeBron's just as strong and can see over the defense now, so it doesn't it's not going to phase him. In the case of KD, he's He's going to come down, and when he's he's cooking, there's not much you can do about it. I would try maybe a combination of Drew Holiday and Chris Milton on him moving forward. Yeah. I would, I would, I think that's the only response. I think you got to live with what you live with when you double. Maybe you don't send you no know, the Peyton, uh, you know, so double teaming from the baseline was Gary Peyton was like, he got a bunch of steals like that. So the Peyton double. I wouldn't do that to Kevin Durant because then he can turn over his shoulders, see over the defense and throw a pass to Joe Harris, who's really causing havoc for them because of his cutting and shooting ability. He's yeah. like, as we said before, Duncan Robinson should probably just watch Joe Harris tape over the off season. Um, yeah. Cause a lot of what he does is kind of improv. He'll cut to open spots. Like, yeah. I'm going to cut right now. Like I'm just going to cut. And, and, they, they're so smart and connected. I think you got to figure out where you got to double him, take it out of his hands, but then you got to be on a string as a team and make second and third closeouts and then live with like Kyrie making a tough shot, which he's going to do. But that's the only thing to go because like, bro, if they get, imagine Harden comes back. This is not going to get better. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah, now, then you got a guy who can 
Detroit, make life easier. Yeah, yeah like now it's like Katie. You're like, oh, we got to take out that now. Katie's gonna be like, all right, now I don't have to play mate because I got the one guy who can do it the whole entire game. It doesn't care anymore because he realizes he's in a win. He's in a win now situation in a way he's never really been before. So like. I, you, the fact that they couldn't get a split with Harden out is not a good sign. And Jeff Green hasn't had to play. They they got Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin looks like a, a – Blake Griffin looks like – somebody sent me a gift. Um, somebody reminded me of this. Um, shout out to my homie Steph. She she went to York with me. She's like, it reminds me of the Kevin Nash one. You know when he has the fake cast? That's what yeah. he did with Detroit. And he just kind of got up and it's like – it's like all of a sudden he's dunking on dudes, he's hitting the three, he's passing like he used to. It's just, you know, embarrassment of riches. I think they're the champs um, uh, moving forward, to be honest. I don't see how – I thought Milwaukee was best suited to beat them and not doing it. So, good yeah. luck. Yeah, I think so. I, I think even winner of this series, to me, is probably going to be ho- hoisting that uh, trophy. But – we talked a lot about Monty Williams here and there. We're going to finally talk about the Denver and Phoenix series. According to this on Wednesday night, um, right before the game. Um, to me, I, I really, in terms of game one, the things that kind of stuck out to me, uh, stood out to me in terms of this is how, you know, Chris Paul is starting to obviously look like himself. He's not shooting the three in terms of volume, but, man, that dude mid-range, he'll, he'll, he'll hit that shot until he – He's uh he's dead and gone because that dude for some reason it's like he's just toying around when especially when he's able to snake screens get to the middle or get baseline whatever it is saw some interesting things I thought you know Denver is gonna have to make some adjustments to their screen and roll coverage they're definitely more aggressive with their hard hedging or or keeping guys level I think Jokic is gonna have to start to play a little lower maybe force Chris Paul to shoot pull up threes because he's not really been willing to and defensively at least off ball, I think they really need to communicate their rotations because there's a lot of times where, you know, I think you showed me a clip where Porter kind of put uh, Millsap in a tough spot. He uh, Millsap ro- uh, rotates to the roller. Porter's kind of guarding two guys, doesn't move, gives up a three or gives up a dunk, sorry. And I think um, there was also another play with Jermichael Green, kind of the same thing where Jermichael Green in this case should have stepped out, but just a lot of plays like that, and especially with how Phoenix has dynamic guards, obviously with Chris Paul and Devin Booker, who I felt like I didn't talk about enough just because I think, you know, Phoenix has showed a lot of pressure points in that Lakers system. But I, I really think, you know, Phoenix is just real good. I, I have the winning in seven, but it, I think their size on the wings is a problem, man. I think they win in six the way they look right now, um, to be honest. But, you know, seven would be reasonable. Um I do agree with you. The coverage is making sure you go under Chris Paul, despite the fact that he's a shooter. If he's anything above the three-point line, I would go under just because he doesn't – right now he's just not comfortable shooting the three. That could be where the shoulder is starting to bother maybe having to extend his range. Um, and he's just not a dude who shot a ton of threes to begin with for a guard uh, who handles the ball as much as he does. So, yeah, I think that's a, a good adjustment. And on the Spain pick and rolls, communication is huge. Like that backline dude – on the Spain pick and roll, you, if you notice, that's what I mean by Monty. Like they never ran it when Mark was in the lineup because Mark knows what to do, which is literally yeah, he sits home, back, stay home, and then send the wing to the whoever the the screener is, and just like, are right, you just gonna stay high with him, and I'm gonna stay low, and then we just gotta play defense. Um, 
But I do like the stuff Monty's doing, bro. Like, people need to watch. Like, the way he's got Jokic, again, we talked about Gobert, running, having to hedge and trap, recover. Um, and then in a one, the one thing I love, they did, they ran this to death against Drummond um, in the last series is when they would kind of loop Booker around. And then the, on, and then they would get him involved in a screen and roll where he's already running and uncomfortable, then get him playing a pick and roll. Um, Aiden goes to the hole, and then the tag man is getting pulled away from the hoop, pulling, getting pulled away from the corner, which is usually like Bridges or Crowder, who kind of goes to the extended wing, pulls that dude away, and then it's a lob. And so they need to figure out their tag guys too. Like, are we staying home? The problem with that is the way Booker, you know, we talked about his scoring. Like he, you know, held the Lakers head underwater for a whole entire game and just bury them and bury them and bury them. But you said the next step with him is he's making it is he's starting to throw them crazy cross corner passes, right? He's starting to figure out teams get out of rotation. He's really figuring out how to get to his spot. So um, if if Denver had Jamal Murray, I would have actually picked Denver just because of the Jokic factor, because I still feel like he's going to get his. But um, no, I don't. I just don't think Capazzo is enough because you need length, and they need to go big. Um, I would even start Monty Morris and move Capazzo to the bench with Rivers and just kind of and go from there. But I, I right now Phoenix just seems to be playing at a really high clip of like they look like the best team in the West right now. Um, so this so far, I don't know if they'll come out of it, but right now they look like the best team in the West. Yeah, it's funny you say it because Devin Booker, you know, he's only tw- – the crazy part is he's only 24, going to be 25 in the fall. And despite, you know, some of the narratives of, of okay, you know, we got to get him out of there. And Phoenix, I, I, I heard this earlier, you know, maybe some of that talk, especially with the bubble, put some pressure on that front office to say, hey, we need to make a move. And the leap that they've taken is definitely shown. And I think because, obviously, he was in a system where he wasn't winning games, some of that stuff wasn't on display. But now that they have the talent – uh, and Monty's coach. and the coaching, of course, Monty's definitely dipped into a bag of tricks in terms of his pick and roll variations, but uh, defensively as well. They've also made, I think what I saw in that first game, they made MPJ uh, more of like a passer. I felt like they loaded up the floor for him, made him kind of shrink the floor. Aaron Gordon as well. He did get some of his buckets on, um, on, uh, sorry, on Booker, but I think to me, what 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 is your question, sir? What is the answer in terms of how they can get the others involved in terms of that non-Joker class? Because I really think that just because of the wing size and how Aiton just seems to be navigating that defense, I really don't know how they can get MPJ moving and get him going. Because I think he can definitely help Jogic get some more isolation coverage. There was a couple instances where they were able, to, where MPJ was able to get Chris Paul on his back a few times. Um, I don't remember the sets, but I remember a couple instances early in the game, they had success and they kind of seemed to go away from it. Um, any action where you can force a switch to get MPJ in the post where he can just turn and rise up is what you need to do. You need to get him in space, um, get crowd out of the game if you can. And, and but not like actually like with the fouls, I just mean like Porter needs to be aggressive. Like you need to attack and make reads that are better. But the thing is, I don't know what you can do in those non-Jokic minutes when teams can load up because that's what, that's what they've been doing. They did the same thing. The Braun when AD went out was just like, we'll sit not in the same way. Cause Denver's a, a 
way better shooting team. They can just sit in your lap and just kind of force you to kind of get through the defense. Porter's got to realize he's 6'10". He needs to bring the ball up, too. I think that would help, too. That's the one thing KD does really well is he'll just bring the ball up. And then sometimes it's like, I'll just initiate the offense. I'll just be the guy to start it. Um, I think there's a couple things that they can they can <laughs> probably do. But to be honest, I think it's more cowbell. I think it's like Jokic and everyone play off of Jokic and just keep going to that. And that will open things up, gets a couple cuts going, and then try to be – super creative and moving all the time. Get Phoenix moving the way they've got you moving when Jokic is out of the lineup. Yeah, and I think that's the next part of uh, MPJ's game. I think he even said, you know, he he's like, I need to work on my handle because you definitely see you can get under him. You know, KD's definitely been the comparison for him, but um, I think that's somebody he has to look at because you've seen KD, you know, like reading Kobe's book, he kind of said, hey, it was easier to force him right, but now it's like you force KD right, force him left, don't, don't matter. Uh, Brooklyn and five, just because that dude, he, he figured out the coverages. And I, you know, we talk about Katie's build, but that dude, I think from a perspective in terms of how he's been able to take some bumps, um, learn how to hit people. Yeah. Maybe he is, he look at him and you're like, how's this guy knocking guys off their spot, but he's able to hit you at a good angle. He's able to get to his pickups because he, he does the work before he gets there. And I think that's the next spot for MPJ. Yeah, and in KD, the one thing he does before is he used to be able to get underneath him because he's seven feet. Mm-hmm. That ain't happening no more. Because that was the reason why it was easier to force him right, because you could get underneath him, and right-handed guys, it's always easier to go right to left as opposed to go left to right. It's just like natural body movement. With his And the way his handle is right now, he gets some elevated feet, and he starts skipping. It's like, here's a, like you know, you can pull up the clip of Giannis. It's like, snatch, snatch, pull up. You know what I'm saying? Because the problem with the with Giannis is he knows the pull-up's coming because if you don't, if you rise up, he will snatch again and then take another basket. Like, his handle is, is gross, and he can get wide with his feet and close with his feet. Um, offensively, I don't, I don't think you can be more complete, like, as a scorer. I don't think you can – this is being blasphemous. I don't think there's a more complete offensive player who's played basketball. I don't think yeah. – just – Different spots, how you want it, where you want it. Just tip, leave leave a tip on the dress too. Yeah, breaking my heart with you know, of course, you know, I, I always yeah, yeah, yeah. say mellow. I used to always say that about mellow up until about like 2018. And I was like, all right, bro, I got to let go of that. But um, yeah. <laughs> even though it's probably a couple years overdue. But speaking of some the last series, we got the Eastern Conference semifinals. We got the Atlanta Hawks and the. <clears throat> Philadelphia 76 this is gonna this has been a good series in terms of obviously other than a little bit of a a blundered late with Atlanta even early in that game too they seem like they're having trouble with Philly's press you know they have some wings who can move around I know Danny Green's on the best on ball in terms of smaller guards but you know Ben Simmons Rex have wreaks havoc you got Matisse Thibault as well but that pick and roll game of Trey, man. That dude's been special. Uh, Watching Bogey, you see why Milwaukee probably, you know, went under the table and said, hey, we're going to trade for this guy because that dude on ball, you know, that dude's special. And and he's a vet. He's he's about 27 years old. He's played overseas. He doesn't seem like he's afraid of the moment. And Philly, from their perspective, and Bede's been in that best player in the league type conversation in terms of how efficient he's been. 39 points, 11 rebounds on 50 
37-84 split. And he's doing this on a slightly torn meniscus. And coming into this series, I was a little skeptical. I felt like maybe that was week to week. But when he's been locked in, that dude's been a monster in the pick and roll on defense. And um, my question is, I I just, man, you, you know, this, you're kind of seeing the trust the process uh, era screwing them over because they just don't have enough in terms of the wing scoring. Because you look at Ben um, through the first two games, only 10 points eight assists, but he's also shooting 25% from the line, 90 on field from the field, but it just seems like he's just getting the extra stuff. So to me, I, I, I still think Philly wins, but I think, you know, Atlanta, of course, without Hunter, of course, Torres meniscus, that sucks for them, but I still think they have enough to make this a good series. Well, they well, just because like you said, with the, there's a couple of times where Embiid in the pick and roll doesn't have to lift because of the miscus. Like some of the lobs he was giving up, especially in game one, you could tell he was just kind of – he just wasn't there. And Trey is so good at like – he always will confuse the defense. Like he's a pickup dude. Like he – I mean, what I mean by like his pickups are, are very random. Like they look like passes that like he'll pick it up in a way where it looks like he's going for a lift and he actually throw the lob. Uh, Harden, Harden really figured this out too, especially in Brooklyn. We're like, he's got the floater now. The floater was something he struggled with early, but now he's got the floater going. So they'll still have a problem guarding him. Um, and, you know, that kid is not scared of anybody. Um, I, I hope he stays this way. I hope he just embraces the villain. I think the league needs it. I think you need a guy who's like that. Um, it's good for the league. But in case of Philly, the answer is Ben and Thibel, like, because when Thibel is really good at, like, because Trey's really good at getting you on his hip. And then, like, like we talked about it with Paul George. Paul George should probably watch tape film on him. He gets guys on his hip, and then Chris Paul does this to all these point guards. And they're able to kind of figure out their steps and figure and, and get and get space. Thibel is so impressive because you get him on the hip and he'll find a way to block your shot somehow. Like you can figure out he's the only one. If he, man, if that guy could ever hit a jumper on a consistent basis, he, you would have to pay that guy close to the max. Cause it's like, he literally does everything you, you want as a defender. Danny green as a perimeter defender days are over. Um, as a point guard. Defender. Also yeah. one of nine from three through the first two games, just to hey, we're, Raptors we're, and we're Lakers fans. Raptors, LeBron fans, Raptor fans, we're familiar with that from the last month on. That was the dead because I was going through the whole season. Like, this guy figure out how to shoot again. Because as a guy who had to watch the Raptors and watch him struggle for the whole playoffs run, and then watch him go play with my favorite player, and then watch him not be able to hit a shot for a whole entire year except for the first game of the season. Um, like, I'm like, this is a guy figure out a shot in Philly, but yeah, he's they need him because if. They're going to probably win this series if everything holds and meniscus and stays intact. When they go play that monster uh, across Brooklyn, if he's not hitting jumpers, it will be a lot. It will be a very quick five nets and five. We'll see you soon. Yeah. And looking at the, the early, you know, box chart, uh, box score, excuse me, five of 18 from three for, um, Trey Young, that's good for 28%. How can he get going from three? Do you think it's more the shot selection, or do you think, you know, guys like Thibault and Simmons, when they're on him? Because and the darker spot they talked about in the Kai's Duncan and Steve Jones, I can't kind of even saw it too. When they go and trap him, I think it's like you're just 
especially when you have a bigger defender, it makes no sense. Cause like you said, he's like a boxer when he's in trap situation, his feet are always active. Uh, he stays on his toes. You know, I even watched him with Tim Martin, great trainer out of Dallas on Instagram. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he worked with him in high school and you could see how he just always getting downhill. He's never staying still despite being a guy who's about six one. So how, how do you think he can get his shot going from three? Um, I mean, he needs to get some – some of it just – I think he was in a funk. I don't – but they're going to have to maybe set some high screen stuff, maybe get some actions involved with him and Bogey and make, and make, it, and make the Danny Green switch happen again. Like, you know, force the switch, get him going. He just got to be aggressive. I, like, it, it sounds very cliche. He just got to continue to shoot because, like, they need him to compete in this series. Uh, maybe get Bogey the ball in his hand and make him move off ball. If Trey, if, if Trey needs to develop an area offensively, it's probably that. Not because he can't do it, just because he's never been really asked to do it because he was in Oklahoma where the offense was around him. I'm sure in high school it was all Trey, and up until recently it's been all Trey. So um, I think that's where they can get him going, maybe move off, move him off the ball. Nate, the, if there's one disadvantage to Nate, is that he usually runs the same stuff over and over again. It's effective, but it's simple, so they might need to – be some tweaking but yeah they need to give him some relief in the pick and roll situation too because you know the key for philly is not to have to double him right like you said because once you double him he is like a floyd mayweather type where it's like you're not gonna hit me i'm gonna hit you and more importantly i'm not not getting hit means in basketball terms never panicking um and always being in control and once you can control space as a ball handler, it's, you know, it's lights out. And you and like you said, they were able to be a little bit more physical with him last game. Shout out to Doc. Um, so if he's got to be able to do his little insurance scam thing and probably get Ben in foul trouble. <laughs> yeah, you might have to do that, you know, and try to make or sell things in terms of, you know, hey, like I'm the little guy in this fight. Give me some calls. Yeah, I think, yeah, if, if he can get to the line, maybe get some more free throws generate some rhythm there then he can be a problem especially in Atlanta where it seems like he's been I you know I obviously wasn't born for Neek in terms of his peak but it seems like he's been like that star that they've been asking for oh he's in, he's fully it like since the, the Neek Neek in Atlanta they're like god um the Trey Trey has a potential if they go on some couple playoff runs where he's the dude that city love will love him right they just haven't had it like and and the way they and the I like I like about him and that team is that they embrace like that Nick series like you saw like they embrace they're just like we don't care we're coming for your head and like we're gonna point to the crowd we're gonna shush them we're gonna like and and I like the swag that they have this year I'm less worried about them regressing than I am the Knicks I feel like they're still gonna be good next year if everyone's healthy as opposed to the Knicks where I'm like they need to make some changes or else they will be at the bottom of the East next year. Yeah, and before I wrap things up, who's been the most impressive uh, young guy for you in terms of this uh, early playoff run? Because, you know, there's been a lot of narratives in terms of the, hey, you know, the ratings and this and that, but we're getting to see some young guys put their talent on display, which the game needs it. We need to move on eventually, and, of course, some of it's kind of the whole take narrative TV in terms of how we cover things, but who have you seen that's impressed you? The obvious one is Luca. Right, that's the obvious one, because mm. it's Luca, like you know, MVP candidate, blah blah blah. I'm gonna go with Booker, just because, like, 
the way he came out in that game six, where he was just literally like, he, he was on the, was say what you want about whether LeBron was in, and LeBron clearly looked hobbled, whatever. He was the best player on that floor. Like, it wasn't even close. Like, he was just hitting jumper after jumper after jumper. And you can kind of hear in the crowd, like, when he get the ball, the crowd would get quiet. Like, because the crowd's like, shit. You know? And it's just like, because it's just like, you know what's coming. And, like, if, and I'm just, I'm glad that people are starting to see him and um, see him in the light that the league didn't get to see because he was play, he's playing in a Mountain West time zone. The last time they were relevant in a real way was Nash, and before that was was Charles, right? So, like, the fact that people are getting to see him and see the the fact that this kid is a killer, I I am I'm impressed with how he was able to handle that game six moment where he's just like Chris Paul is not is not 100. percent I'm going to put them to, like it's over tonight. I and and usually that's where teams, um, young teams would struggle is figuring out that, that, that game because we knew and I knew and you knew this, if the Lakers somehow won game six, they weren't going to lose game seven. They needed to put them to bed and they treated it like the must when they had to. So like, I was impressed. Like it just came, it was just like, it doesn't matter who's guarding me. Um, we, we, we talk off season. I could talk about a bunch of different things about why I think the Lakers lost. But right now I think he just, he impressed me. Mitchell's been amazing. Tatum's been amazing. But, you know, I think Luca's the obvious one. I just think it's, you know, Luca was taking on Kawhi and Paul George and literally owning them for seven for seven games. Like, but in comparison, I think I just wanted to shout out Deep Book. Yeah, I, I definitely would agree with you, man. Just because I, you know, even watching his tapes in high school, yeah, I mean, he's only a year younger than me, but even watching him then, I was like, this dude looks like a pro. You look at even in Kentucky, I think. Maybe that year kind of helped some of his off-ball stuff because he was definitely the man in high school. And now you're starting to see it all come into fruition. I really I really think, you know, sometimes it isn't about a guy being a losing caliber player. Maybe it's a system. And shout out to him. He could have packed it in and said, you know what, forget this, you know. But he, his dad was a pro. Clearly he looked up to um, Kobe and he, he carries that with him. You can see it in his game. And I really – think that he him and obviously Trey Young in terms of that non-Luca young kid or young guy excuse me can't say kid I'm not that old but um they've been great you can't say kid when you're the same age as them. yeah it I sound can, like Kobe with Roger Bell I don't know that kid <laughs> yeah and speaking of like he's, he literally took like he took LeBron's jersey because it's literally like the last time he's gonna wear that so like he literally yeah. snatched two three from him so like I was just impressed because that game six I was like yo this kid is and you know me as a bro, I'm like this kid is killing me, man. Like, what the hell's going on? And after by the midway through the first, I'm like, I'm just gonna appreciate it because this guy's just ascending, and I appreciate it. And I hope he does it in this series too. I would love to see them play the Clippers in the second round, but I actually think in terms of in the conference finals, you mean conference finals? Sorry, in terms of actual just basketball, I know people don't want to hear me say this. I actually think in terms of just it would look amazing would actually be them in Utah. I don't know what the yeah. rate would be, but I would watch the hell out of that series uh, because I think it would be it would be two good coaches, two good teams. Him and Mitchell, young dudes, national stage, TNT. Let everyone see the you know. I think it's TNT this year. Let them see. Um, no, it might not be. No, it's not. It's going to be East. Yeah. So whatever, ABC. Yeah. So of course you're going to hear Mark Jackson, fair white guy, to Larry Bird. 
Yeah, Joe Engel is definitely showing shades of that. But <laughs> now the Boyan gone. Uh, was it Boyong and and Bogdan? Like you probably yeah. called all Larry Bird. They're all Larry Bird. Yeah, exactly. Let's start with the lazy comparisons. But yeah, that's all we got for you guys today. You can follow at Daniel's Den of Hoops on Instagram. You can email danielsden.hoops at gmail.com if you have anything you want us to discuss. Take care, people. Peace. Watch Loki.